This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. It's really good to see all of you here today. Um, now today we're going to do a sermon which is on work. Okay, so it's slightly different from uh, the normal series that we're going through. So uh, let's uh, go to God in prayer as we go to God to ask God to help us to understand what He's saying here. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Okay, dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that you may help us to understand how to work as a Christian and the place of work in our lives. And we pray for all these things. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. Now before I became a pastor, I worked for eight years in different companies and in different roles. I worked in uh, big companies with uh, more than 10,000 headcount. I worked in companies which were less than 30 people. I was an auditor, I was an accountant, I was a liquidator, I was a receiver. And after all this time, I noticed that uh, very often in the workplace, it's very hard to spot who the Christian is. You know, it's it's, it's interesting, right? Because uh, there are people who tell you, yes, they go to church on Sunday, but then when you actually see them at work, it's very hard for you to spot the difference between them and uh, the non-Christian. I've seen with my own eyes people who go to church on Sunday, I won't call them Christians, who go to church on Sunday, who are my co-workers, who lie, who take credit for things that they haven't done, who abuse... Uh, their co-workers or their subordinates who backstab and gossip uh, against other people. Right? So why does this happen? Why, why is it we are these people who are going to church but yet are indistinguishable from non-Christians in their behaviour for the rest of the week? I think it's in this passage in Ephesians which tells us that there is something wrong with their Christian life, right? So in verse 20 it says, that, have, however, that however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put, on your, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, if you look at this passage here, there's the image of putting off and putting on, right? It's the idea of where you have these dirty clothes. Maybe, you know, if you play sport or you've ever gone out on a hot day, you're very sweaty and you smell your shirt and it's very smelly, you you take it off, you you put it into the wash and you put on clean clothes. And that is the image that is being portrayed here in the book of Ephesians. Uh, the idea is that the old self is what you were pre-Christ. Right? It's the old self which is corrupted with deceitful desires, with the old way of thinking, with impurity. You put that away, right? you, you, you throw it away, you discard it. And you put on the new self, which is a reflection of God's righteousness and holiness and is a reflection of your new reality. And I think that that must be the picture of conversion. So I remember a missionary to Thailand was telling, me about, telling us about how there was a 15-year-old convert and she said that 
you know, if, if Jesus Christ died for me, if Jesus Christ rose for me, it must make a difference in the way that I live. But unfortunately for many Christians today, the fact that Jesus died for them and rose for them seems to make no difference in the way that they live. They think that being a, a disciple of Jesus Christ just means believing in Jesus, but there is no repentance, there is no change in my life. Right? There's no putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Now, here as we look at the book of Ephesians, especially in the area of work, I mean, we don't look at the area of anger, right? that's the earlier part, but if you look at the area of work, there are three specific areas, right, uh, the next slide, three specific areas which should be marked with the old self and the new self. So the first area is, right, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. Now, we sort of think to ourselves, well, you know, what sort of stealing is he talking about? Because in the olden ancient world, people used to be paid uh, in a daily wage, right? and a lot of people were living in poverty. And I'm sure that, I suppose, even in a wealthy country like Singapore, there are people living in poverty. And often people in poverty are tempted to steal. Right? So in the book of Proverbs, it says, right, the, 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 the writer of the Proverbs, the next slide, Therese, is it there? The next slide, yep. says that, you know, he prays to God that he doesn't become poor and steal and therefore dishonor the name of God, right? Because when we steal, we are actually dishonoring God's name. Because people see you steal and they think, well, this is what Christians are like. So I remember recently when uh, the pastor of City Harvest, Kong Hee, and a few other people got sent to jail, right? I remember some non-Christians say, you know, see, you know, you're, you're, these Christians are no different from other people, right? They're, they're, they're convicted of stealing. The court has said they're stolen. They're no different from ordinary criminals. And instead of God's name being uh, revered or hallowed or respected, uh, God's name is dishonored and dragged through the mud. So stealing is wrong. But stealing is not just about being poor and stealing, right? Because you can be rich and you can still steal. So in this passage here, in the book of Luke, uh, these people came to John the Baptist. The next slide. And they asked uh, John the Baptist, right, what they must do to be saved. And John the Baptist says, you must produce fruit in keeping with repentance, right? So the next slide. And part of that fruit was, if you're a tax collector, don't collect any more than you're required. And if you're a soldier, don't extort money and accuse money falsely, uh, people falsely. Be content with your pay. So stealing for the tax collector used to be like getting more tax than they were legally required to collect from people, right? Uh, for a soldier, instead of just doing soldiering job is to extort money and to pressure people falsely so that they will get more money. So, for the Christian tax collector and the Christian soldier, their, their working life would be different after they put on the new clothes of God's righteousness and holiness. So, what does it mean for us 
right? Uh, I don't see any of you being soldiers. Anyway, Singapore soldiers, I don't think they are extorting people. And I think tax collectors, they just collect money, right? But what does that stealing mean for us today as Christians? Do we steal? Now, when you think of stealing, you might think of yourself, well, stealing is where I, I break into a house and I steal someone's laptop. Or, you know, I break into the car and I steal someone's cash card, right? Or I go to the money changer and I steal money from the money changer or something like that, right? But actually, when you think about it, from a biblical understanding, stealing is, is taking what is not yours. Okay, stealing is what is not yours. And I think that even in my own working experience, we, we, we can steal. So I remember when I was working uh, as an accountant, and also when I was working as a, in a big firm, you know, they supply you with stationery, right? You know, they supply you stationery. I remember when I, um, when I first joined the accounting firm, there were all this stationery, and my friend said to me, wow, this is like a gold mine, man. It's like a gold mine, right? You can just help yourself to pens, to paper, to, to, to staplers, to staplers, everything, right? So I was, um, I was quite uh, shocked one day when I went to Bible study. And then... I noticed that my, my neighbor was, was, was actually writing uh, um, their notes on the company stationery. Right? I said, hey, actually, you know, the work stationery is only meant for work, right? Because, you know, if you take it home and use it for private use, you're actually stealing stuff from the office, right? And then sometimes, you know, I, I see some people in Bible study, and then they, they, they photocopy the Bible study or the children's church material, using the, the company photocopier. Right? Uh, then again, it's also stealing, right? Because that is actually using your company's property for your private use. And you're not supposed to, to do that. That's actually wrong. That's dishonoring to God. And especially if people see it, uh, it will dishonor God and Christ. I remember when I was working as an auditor, you know, we used to stay up quite late for jobs, right? And then if, you're, if you work past a certain time, you're, you're allowed to claim allowances for taxis and things like that. And, and it's very tempting, right? Because sometimes you leave a bit earlier and you want to claim allowance. So it's very easy for people to fudge their records in order to claim extra, extra allowances. Again, we, we, we shouldn't be doing that as we are Christians. Right? But I think the Bible also tells us that uh, we are not to steal time from our employers, right? So, if, uh, if you look at this passage, right, in Colossians chapter 3, okay, uh, it says, right, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and with reverence for God. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So, another way we can steal from our employers is to steal time. Right? I, I know that there are many, you know, actually, Singaporeans work very hard, so maybe we, it's a wrong sermon for, for us as Singaporeans to steal time, right? But, but, you know, many times at work, people will be surfing, you know, the net, looking at their Facebook pages, or updating their Facebook, or surfing YouTube. And, 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 and uh, you know, doing all sorts of things. Lah. But they're not actually working. So in a sense, you're actually stealing from your employer, right? Because they're paying you to work, but actually, you're, you're not working. You're, you're actually 
doing something else. But you only really work when your boss comes round. So I remember when I was in theological college, I had a friend of mine who was a year ahead of me, who uh, graduated and then he, he did part-time study to become a chartered accountant. But then immediately after, he went to theological college. So I, I asked him, I said, hey, this, that doesn't make sense, right? Because if you already knew you were going to go to theological college, why did you waste time studying part-time for two years you know, what is quite a difficult exam in order to become a chartered accountant when you knew that you weren't going to actually practice as a chartered accountant. And he said to me, he said, well, it was because there were two other people in his office who were Christians who decided to do full-time ministry, but they had a reputation in the office for being slackers. All right, and they, you know, apparently they would use office time to call up people, they would use office time to do Christian ministry work. Right? So he wanted to set an example to his colleagues that actually as a Christian, you can still work faithfully and still do full-time ministry later on. Because he said that people used to say that, well, you know, these two Christian people at work, they can't cut it in the real world. So then they decided to go and do Christian ministry. So he wanted to show that that wasn't true. And I think that's that was very commendable of him. Because even if um, you're at work and you're doing something worthwhile, like say, calling someone up about Bible study or even preparing your Bible study, you're still actually stealing time from your employer. Because right? your employer is paying you to do something, but you're actually doing something of your own private purposes. And that's actually not putting off the old self, right? That's not putting on God's righteousness and holiness. Now, the Bible also speaks, I think, of work in terms of working with honesty and integrity. Because the times where we can actually cheat and lie at work, which is, in a sense, stealing as well. So, in the book of Proverbs, if you see the next slide, There are a few slides about how God really uh, dislikes cheating at work or dishonesty and integrity at work. So it says there in Proverbs chapter 10 verse 2, Ill-gotten treasures are of no value, but righteousness delivers from death. Now actually, Proverbs is very deep and profound itself, right? What makes a good proverb? Uh, What makes a good proverb is contrast, right? So the first line of verse 2 talks about ill-gotten treasures of no value. So you think about, you're thinking about treasure, right? Your mind is on treasure. But the the second sentence says righteousness delivers from death, but it doesn't talk about treasure at all, right? But at a deeper level, it makes you think, right? What is the true treasure? The true treasure is actually... Freedom from death, right? It is, it is better, this treasure of freedom from death, delivery from death, is much better than the worldly ill-gotten treasures that you will receive if you got it in a way which is not through hard work. Another proverb is, the wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure Reward, right? So this word here, deceptive wages, are literally 
false wages. It, it looks like you've received something valuable, but actually it's deceptive and it's false. It's no wage at all because at the end of the day, the only sure reward you will get is living a righteous life. Then in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 23, it says that the Lord detests differing weights, right? You know, like, so it's like if you have weights, um, I don't know, sometimes, you know, people show me these YouTube videos about vendors who are cheating people selling fish and everything like that. They put different weights or they put water or, you know, they slip all these different things, right? The Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales do not please Him. So the word detest here is, is like, it's an abomination to God if you cheat people. So you can see that actually in, in these verses in Proverbs, together with the rest of what we've read, God hates, hates it if you are not working in a way which is righteous and holy. Because we often think in a sliding scale of sin, right, that, oh, if I have sexual sin, ah, okay, then, you know, that's worthy of hell, right? If I murder someone, that's worthy of hell. But actually, if you are tempted to be deceptive at work, if you lack integrity and you steal credit for yourself for work that is not yours, or you, you know, slander someone else and you try to get up the, the, the career path by tearing everybody else down, What's the point? Because your reward is deceptive, not eternal life. So, think for yourself, right? For those of you who are students, I don't know any students here. Oh yeah, I've got one student. Okay. It's like, you know, when you're writing your essay, right? You know, it's very tempting to, to, to you know, especially when, oh, actually we've got a few students, huh? yeah. but theological students, I hope they don't do this. Huh? <laughs> right. So, you know, you're writing your essay, and you know, it's a 3,000 words, you know, and then you see this very good paragraph in uh, someone's, uh, you know, uh, 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 book or something like that. It's very tempting for you to just take it and put it into your essay, right? Because you know, wow, I can't write better than that, isn't it? But that's stealing, right? You're actually stealing someone's idea and presenting it as yourself. Right? You, you, you need to actually cite it and say, oh, uh, I, I, this is not my idea, it's somebody else's idea. And I think that's very important, right? that we are always honest and we have integrity. Because, you know, you read of so many cases now of people who are discredited because they're plagiarism. They've written something and they say it's theirs, but actually someone found that it's from someone else. Or they've said that they've um, done this degree, but they actually did something that's similar, but it's not the same. So... Why, why do you want to, to not just dishonor God's name, but to, to shame yourself? Does it make sense? So, I'll tell you a true story. One of the companies I was working in many years ago, uh, we were management consultants. And um, so the, the, the partner made this promise to this client that we'll finish this job by a certain time, like a review of some company so my team were basically working day and night to get this report done. But by the by middle of the week, we knew there was no way that we would finish this report. It's just physically impossible. We just didn't have enough people to finish the report. So Friday came along, and we have to DHL. In those days, there's no cloud computing. We have to DHL the files. 
the disk right to the client with the report. So what to do? So my partner came and said, okay, this is the solution. We'll send them the disk, but we'll corrupt the information so that when they receive it, they won't be able to read it, right? Because, you know, we'll just say there's something wrong with the disk, then we'll give us another two days on the weekend to finish the, the report. Lah. So we get the disk, then we, 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 we loaded the half-written information, then we, we tried running it, right? Then I was like, oh, hey, it works, man. What we do is, okay, just scratch it. So scratching, scratching, scratching. Then like, okay, it still can still read, no? Okay, we'll scratch some more. And then yeah, finally, okay, yeah, really cannot read now. Okay, then we can send it. But as a Christian, I said this is not right, like so I, I left right after that. But but that's the things that people do, right? I mean, this is what people do in order to get things done. And I'm sure people do much worse things than that, right? But as Christians, that's not something that we should be doing. Because it is not part of the new person that we are, but it's actually part of the old self. The second thing that we're supposed to do then is, if we're not to steal, okay, the next point, um, Therese? If we're not to steal, then the next thing we're supposed to do is we must work doing something useful with our own hands. Right? Now this word work here has the connotation of Tiring work, a demanding labor. It's like the idea of, you know, you see the poor uh, Bangladeshis working on the road in the hot sun, right? It's that sort of the idea of labor. It's not really work. They must labor. It's difficult. It's tiring. But what is important here is that they must labor or work doing something good or something useful with their hands. And the word here, good, right? The next uh, slide. is actually can be translated as kindness or doing good, right? It's, it's the idea of how our labor is doing good for other people. Now, I remember this guy who's a Christian writer who was the principal of my theological college who basically started it. He said the primary goal of a Christian should never just be about making money. Right? The primary goal of a Christian is not about making money. It is about doing good and, and being useful for people. Right? Doing use, use, being of use and service for society. I think this is a very important point for us. Because, you know, today uh, when we think of work, our aspiration, not for Christians, but the world's aspiration, you just have to look at the Sunday Times, right? the investment section every Sunday. The goal of work nowadays is I want to work to earn as much money and retire as fast as I can. I mean, really, that's right. You read the people at the back, right? My aspiration is by age 50, I wanted to earn like how many millions so that I can retire and that's it. But when you look at the Christian uh, context, work is something that we must do in order to be useful for society, useful for other people. So, you know, the way the world thinks of work is, I measure your worth based on how much you earn. But the biblical concept of work is, the measurement of work is, how useful are you for people? Um, I mean, you could always argue that actually the cleaner 
on that basis is, is delivering more use than the hedge fund manager who's destroying the economy, right? In a certain degree, right? I mean, because in a sense, there are some jobs which are not useful, right? So, I mean, if you should say to me, hey, Andrew, you know, I want to, I got this job offer at uh, Marina Bay Sands as a croupier, right? I would say, well, I'm not sure whether that fits into the definition of the biblical view of work, right? Because what use are you to society except you're basically taking money away from the poor suckers at the, 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 the casino table, right? Because it's not about the, your, your, your how much you earn. I'm sure the croupiers earn lots of money in Marina Bay Sands, right? But it's about what use you are to people, right? So my sister is a doctor, and uh, I remember meeting some of her friends, right? And uh, actually, some of her friends were quite miserable uh, studying medicine. Lah. Because the only reason why they went to medicine was because they got such good marks. And, uh, well, medicine's the hardest to get into. So I go to medicine. But then actually, they realized that actually, when you go to medicine, it's a very you know, demanding course. And, and actually, you don't, I mean, sometimes you don't, don't, don't earn that much money as, as a doctor, right? So for them, they're sort of thinking, okay, I, I, I want to get into work to earn money, right? And uh, I'm, I'm the smartest because I, I did so well, so I'm going to get into the hardest course. Right? I mean, no point, I study so hard. And I can get into medicine, but then I go and become an accountant, right? <laughs> right, you know what I mean? It's like, so what's the point, right? But, but, but you know, they're sort of thinking, oh, I just want to get to the hardest course to earn the most money. But that's not the way that we, we must think about work, right? The way we think about work is, from a biblical perspective, as we put on the the new righteousness is how do we serve and be useful and to do good to other people. Right? So I think that's why this understanding of work equals how much I earn is very unhelpful. Because I remember talking to someone uh, who was retiring and I said, look, now they are retiring, why don't you do something else? You've got so much time right, with your life. And they said, well, I'm only going to work if I get paid. But, but you see that concept? That's the way the world thinks, right? I only work if I get paid. But I remember this elder of a Presbyterian church who was very uh, uh, impressive to me. He was a very fit older man and he used to swim every morning and then in the afternoon he used to go and help these other volunteer associations. Uh, he was a musician. He used to write as an editor for free in some jazz magazine, right, reviewing albums. And then, you know, he'll be doing this, he'll be doing that. He wasn't being paid, but he was very useful in his life. I remember this, another man, he used to go uh, to this old folks home, and he used to read uh, the letters for the older people, and he used to write, uh, like, legal documents and letters for the older people there. He was doing work and he wasn't really being paid. But that's the way that we should understand work, right? In, in terms of a biblical point of view. So the third thing that uh, Ephesians says, is that the next slide, is that he must not steal any longer, he must work and do something useful with his hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Now, again, this is a shocker because this is not the way the world thinks, right? The way the world thinks is 
Don't steal anymore so you don't go to jail. Work and do something useful with your hands so that you can accumulate as much money uh, as you can. Right? I was reading this book, uh, I think it's called The Millionaire Next Door. Right? And then, actually, the, what they were saying is that actually, as a percentage, uh, I remember reading the richest people in America actually give the least. So the ones with the most money actually give the least money in terms of donations. And that's because in that sense, they're thinking of work in terms of just pure wealth accumulation. But the Bible doesn't say that the purpose of work is just wealth accumulation. It says that part of working is so that we have the capacity to be generous with other people. Now, that's not saying that you give all your money, then you've got nothing left for yourself, right? Because in uh, other parts of the Bible, the next slide, uh, is there another slide? It says that um, making your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And then verse 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So the Bible is not saying that you know every single cent that you have, you, you give it away to the poor person. You, you still have primary responsibilities, right? You, you need to save to provide for yourself, and you need to save to provide for your immediate family. In fact, the failure to provide for your family right, is actually seen as a denial of your faith. Okay? Now, but on top of that, it actually shows that the things that we have are meant to be used for other people, right, in, in, in generosity. Now, I think that's why when you think of uh, possessions, the Bible actually sees possessions as stewardship rather than ownership. Because stewardship means that I've been given these resources and I've got to do something with them. Part of it, I provide for myself. Part of it, I provide for my family. Part of it, I give to other people. But if I think of possessions in terms of ownership, then it's all mine, right? Because I own everything and I want to be enriched by it, right? So in the parable in Luke chapter 12 of the rich young fool, right? Next slide. Oh, the next one? Uh, Yeah, the next one. Okay, it says, And Jesus told them this parable, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Now here was a man who was rich, right? very rich. But he was not generous with the things that he had. In fact, his focus was all on me, right? Uh, you notice that in the parable, Jesus keeps emphasizing the personal pronouns. I, I, I'll do this. I'll say to myself, my grain, my goods. So his concept was about ownership, right? This is all 
my stuff. And I'm going to do all this stuff that is mine to make myself happy. But in verse 20, God says that all these things will be demanded from you. And this word demanded actually is a very loaded word. The word demanded here is the same word that a banker will use when he asks for repayment of a loan. So what actually Jesus is saying, if you, if you really understand what he's saying, is even this man's life is not his own. Right? He thinks that he owns his barns, his farms, his grain. But Jesus is saying, look, even your life is not yours. I will demand your life back from you. And this is a very important concept that actually everything we have, even our own life, is not our life. Right? God will demand it back one day and, and we will be called to account for our stewardship of our possessions, of our things, of our gifts, of our life itself. Right? So that means that God says that when we work as we are stewards over our possessions, when we put on a new self, we must be generous. Right? We must have something to share with those in need. That's the mark of the new self, the righteous self, the holy self. So in conclusion, as we've looked at this passage, right, tells us what to do with work, right? Don't steal. You've got to work. Do something useful so they have something to share with people. So a pastor, in conclusion, once surveyed a group of church members and asked them, what would be the worst thing that could happen to you? And uh, a lot of people replied back and said, oh, you know, maybe they became paralyzed, or they can't see, or they can't hear, or they lost all their money, or they got divorced or something, right? And the pastor was very sad. You know why? Because no one said that the worst thing that could ever happen to them was to lose their eternal life. You see, when you look at things from an eternal perspective, then why would you steal? Why would you cheat? Why would you uh, fudge figures? Why would you cut corners? Uh, because there's a risk that you could lose eternal life. Right? What's the point? It's like, the, it's deceptive wages, right? It is ill-gotten treasures. At the end of the day, what really counts the true treasure is to be de- uh, delivered from death, to be given that righteousness. So now that we are in Christ, now that we put on the new righteous clothes of God's holiness and righteousness, then we need to be seen doing those things in our workplaces. And not just think that, oh, being a Christian is just coming to church on a Sunday. Okay, so I hope that as we look at this passage, it really helps us to think through uh, how we are to live as Christians in the workplace. Okay, so let's go to God in prayer. Okay, dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to see that we spend most of our working life, in fact, most of our life in the workplace, Uh, Most of life is taken up with our colleagues doing work. 
And uh, the way that we work in society can give you glory, uh, reflect our true nature of holiness and righteousness in Christ, or it can dishonor your name, uh, cause people to dishonor you and to despise you, and to show that we have not truly been converted. Dear Father, help us see that the stakes are very high, that as we read in the book of Proverbs, uh, it is an abomination to you if we steal or cheat or lie at work. So dear Father, help us to open our eyes, to see work with new eyes, to see how it is important to you how we work as Christians. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.